Don't forget to rate us on iTunes so we can continue to bring great content to you. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Expert webinar chat series hosted by the National Resource Center on ADHD. I'd like to welcome you today. My name is Karen Sampson Hoffman. Today we are pleased to welcome Dr. Erica Wodka and she's presenting the relationship between ADHD and autism spectrum disorder. Dr. Woka is from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders at the Kennedy Krieger Institute and an assistant professor at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Ask the Expert is a monthly series presented by the National Resource Center on ADHD, which gives the general public access to top clinicians, researchers, and other professionals. The National Resource Center is a partnership between CHAD and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and serves as the national clearinghouse for the latest evidence-based information on ADHD. Dr. Wodka, when you're ready, we are all set. Great, thank you for having me. So I've been asked to talk about the overlap between ADHD and autism spectrum disorders. And then to do that, it's first critical that I describe the way that we assign diagnoses diagnoses as clinicians. And we do this by a book that's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which, so I don't have to say that multiple times, we'll refer to as the DSM as it's referred to. Um, and this is the authoritative guide for diagnosing mental health and developmental conditions. And it describes symptoms, criteria of, of conditions, the course, and the prevalence. And what this does is it allows clinicians to provide diagnostic labels so that individuals can be grouped with other individuals who share similar behaviors. And this, we do this so that we can provide treatments that are known to work with, with people with similar presentations. And we can also guide our research so that we're studying individuals with the similar presentations as well. What's really important, though, to emphasize about the DSM is that clinically significant impairment has to be realized by that individual in order to provide any diagnosis. Because there, as we know, is a range of typical behavior. There are certainly people, since we're talking about ADHD today, who have trouble paying attention, or people who are not the most social butterflies when we think about people with autism. But the, these people don't really have impairment, and so they haven't been diagnosed with things like ADHD and ASD. Um, however, but when the impairment is realized, then that, those boundaries of normal behavior have been broken, and it's appropriate to provide a diagnosis to describe the behaviors that an individual is experiencing. So as science and thus clinical practice advances, it's important that our diagnostic manual be updated, and that's what's reflected in the move from DSM-4 to DSM-5. And DSM-5 was released in May of 2013 with an emphasis on a lifespan approach, accounting for the fact that many disorders may present in childhood but continue to impact the individual into adulthood and may present a little bit differently in childhood versus adulthood. In particular, I've been asked to talk about how these changes impact autism spectrum disorders and ADHD. Some notable changes were made with regard to autism spectrum disorders from DSM-4 to DSM-5. This slide shows the gross criteria of the pervasive developmental disorders in DSM-4. Autism diagnoses were falling under this category of pervasive developmental disorder, or PDD, in the previous revision of the DSM. 
the umbrella that, that's on the left of the slide shows the disorders that fell in that category. And those three disorders on the left side of the umbrella are the more common diagnoses that many of us have heard of, including autism, Asperger's, Asperger's disorder, and PDD-NOS. And just to be very brief in describing what these disorders are, autism required a specific severity of symptoms in three core defined areas, and those are um, the blue, green, and red on, your, on the right of the screen. So deficits in social interaction, communication, including a delay, and restricted and repetitive behaviors. In contrast, Asperger's required no delay in early language development and typical intelligence, but still require that symptoms be present in each of those three core areas. Finally, PDD-NOS was used to classify children with some of these symptoms, but not enough to reach the diagnostic threshold for either autism or, or Asperger's. The two disorders on the right of the umbrella, Rett's disorder and CDD, are less common disorders and involve a period of typical development followed by a severe regression and then presentation at some point with symptoms associated with autism spectrum disorders. Moving to DSM-5, you'll see that term PDD was removed and it was changed to ASD, which collapsed the diagnoses of autism, Asperger's, and PDD-NOS into one diagnosis, autism or autism spectrum disorders. The DSM-5 also removed Rett's disorder and CDD from the autism spectrum for reasons I'm not going to fully cover uh, in the scope of this, of this talk. What you'll also see is that the three core areas were, uh, were collapsed into two areas, where social and language difficulties were combined to reflect the relationship between social functioning and communication. And that's and the relationship of social and communication that is actually core to the disorder. Abnormalities in sensory functioning were also included as a core symptom and fell under the repetitive behavior category. And finally, the onset of diagnosis, or onset of symptoms, I should say, was relaxed to capture children who may not present with early deficits, but who experience difficulties when demands for flexible language increase and exceed their abilities. And this can be seen especially for uh, children with higher functioning autism. So while it might seem that collapsing three disorders into one, autism spectrum disorder, would kind of lump a whole bunch of different children together who are more dissimilar than similar, we're also able in DSM-5 to provide specifiers which help better describe the child. So when we provide a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder, we now have the option to specify all of the following that you'll see on the screen. So the range of severity of autistic behavior, the range of intelligence, intellectual functioning, the range of verbal functioning, meaning is the child speaking, do they have signs, are they able to communicate? The range of pattern of onset, so was this an early onset or was it a later, later recognized? The range of outcome, the range of comorbidities, and that we'll discuss in, in the context of, um, of ADHD as, as one of the possible co comorbidities, and the range of etiological factors, meaning genetic or medical or otherwise. So all these specifiers can be then attached to the autism diagnosis to better describe the child. So switching gears to ADHD, 
there are also some changes made to the criteria in DSM-5 as well. First, focusing or reflecting the lifespan emphasis of disorders in DSM-5, more examples are provided in the DSM-5 of adult symptomatology, so what adults present, help adults present with ADHD. The two behavioral categories were maintained, so inattention and hyperactivity impulsivity, as was the requirement for symptom presentation to be present in two or more settings, for instance, home and school. The age of impairment, however, was increased from 7 to 12 years. So in the previous DSM, impairment had to be, or symptoms had to be observed before age 7. But that's going to relax a little bit, and symptoms still need to be present before age 7, but the actual impairment doesn't have to be evidenced until age 12. The other big change was that there used to be an exclusion that ADHD could not be diagnosed at the same time or in the same child um, who has an autism spectrum disorder or a pervasive developmental disorder per DSM-IV. And that exclusion was removed, meaning that currently, as per DSM-V, a clinician can diagnose one child with both an autism spectrum disorder and ADHD. So you say, might ask, why was it previously not allowed for a diagnosis of autism and ADHD to be provided for the same child? And this is, for the most part, because the vast majority of children with autism also do have difficulties with attention that don't necessarily warrant a separate diagnosis. So kind of like this giraffe and zebra, they're coming together. If you have autism, you likely have difficulty with your attention system. However, the inattention that you often see in children with autism is somewhat different than that which is characteristic of ADHD. And so, for instance, if you think about a child with ADHD, they can often be withdrawn, they might be described as in their own world, uh, and their attention is such that they exclude more salient environmental stimuli. So, for instance, a child may be in a classroom listening to a lesson, or supposed to be listening to a lesson, but really they're focused inward and they're thinking about something and they're excluding what's going on around them. Versus if you think about a child with ADHD, they're often distractible and they're drawn actually to environmental stimulation. So you don't want to sit them near a window because they're going to be the first ones to looking out it, uh, to look out it. So it's not that they're distracting within themselves. What's going on around them is distracting them, again, from that same teacher, uh, but for different reasons. Similarly, children with autism are often inflexible. They have difficulty shifting from one topic to the next versus children with ADHD can often be described just the opposite as impersistent. They're often moving quickly from one topic to the next. They can't stay on topic. Again, the child with autism might be hyper-focused on details and they miss the big picture of something versus the child with ADHD has trouble sustaining their attention. They can't um, they can't follow through in the same way versus a child with, AD, uh, with, a, with autism will follow through if that is something that they're interested in to the point where they will not do other things. So in DSM-5, we can separately diagnose these two disorders, particularly when difficulties in both types of attention and behavior regulation, so the impulsivity, impulsivity and hyperactivity, are observed in the child. 
it's certainly possible that the child has both autism and ADHD, and that these are two separate disorders that are co-occurring. So like our friends, the giraffe and the zebra, who now are, are living separately, but both still exist. Uh, it's really critically important to evaluate and recognize evaluate for both of these conditions and recognize them because treatment approaches for the two disorders, they can be different and thus if the child has a dual diagnosis, meaning they have both ASD and ADHD, there may be separate understanding and treatment for the individual disorders that are necessary as well as for their overlapping and interacting symptoms. So I don't think that there's been a huge clinical shift in that these two disorders haven't always been evaluated for uh, in the same child. It's just now technically the, the diagnostic manual is allowing the clinician to provide di the, these, both these diagnoses in the same child. Well, our next slide brings us to our questions box. And for our participants, again, to ask a question, you can enter it now. We are taking questions now. And we are ready with our first question, and that comes from Lisa. And Lisa was wondering, what type of behaviors would you expect to see in a child who has a dual diagnosis of both ADHD and ASD? So the behaviors would be the kinds of behaviors that you would see in the two disorders, respectively. So if a child has autism, we would expect to see deficits in social communication, so difficulties making friendships, maintaining friendships, difficulties with reciprocal uh, conversations, so um, you know, not having that natural back and forth flow uh, in their social interactions, as well as the repetitive um, and restricted behaviors, so things like hyper-focused interests, so being you know, very focused on a particular topic, uh, for instance, uh, space, let's take. And so that child might be very, very focused on, on space, or they might engage in repetitive motor mannerisms, so those stereotypies, um, pacing, rocking, flapping, um, and or they may experience abnormal sensory functioning, so being super sensitive to loud noises or textures, and so they have the, the characteristics in both of those two domains. But then they also have a, the pattern of inattention or, and or hyperactivity impulsivity that's a separate difficulty. So they cannot, under any circumstances, sit still. Or they're so impulsive that they're not able to inhibit behaviors. Or they have you know really difficult time uh, sustaining and, and maintaining their attention. And, you know, it, it's, again, it's, it's more than just that withdrawn attention difficulties that you see for kids with, with autism. It's, it's in addition to that. They're, they have trouble not only kind of disengaging from their own thoughts, but they have trouble inhibiting being kind of distracted by everything in the environment and, and inhibiting their impulses and trouble sitting still and all the classic things you would think of for a child with ADHD as well. Thank you. Well, our follow-up question 
uh, comes from Mona, and she was wondering if you could explain just very briefly how ADHD and autism are related, or are they related, or could they be co-occurring disorders that simply are walking together, such as your, your zebra and your giraffe? So they're, they're related in the way that they're both neurodevelopmental conditions. So they're manifest, basically, they're reflecting brain development through behavior. So we know that the brain controls our behavior and that there are differences in the way the brains of children with autism and ADHD and or ADHD, I should say, develop. So they're similar in, in that they're both tied to brain development. Um, you know, we're not going to be able to identify the specific region of the brain that's, that may be affected in an individual, but, you know, through groups group studies research, we know that there are differences in, in the connections and uh, in, the, in the way the brain has developed in both of these disorders. So they're, they're related in that way, um, and, they're, and they're related in, in some ways in the way that, that they're treated, um, in that some supports uh, that would be environmental and behavioral supports that would be appropriate for a child with ADHD may be appropriate for a child with autism and vice versa, depending on their, their level of functioning. Um, so it's, you know, it is possible that there is kind of a single neurodevelopmental condition that's, that results in both of these behavioral phenotypes, or it could be that they are two separate things, and I think it, it just really is, is dependent on an individual child, and, and it's there isn't a way we can really um, give one, you know, an answer for everybody. But we know that, you know, the rate of ADHD co-occurring with autism is higher than the rate of, of, of ADHD alone, meaning another, a child with autism would be more likely to present with ADHD as a comorbidity than just a typically developing child would be to present with ADHD. Well, Lisa has another follow-up question to both of these questions, and she was wondering, what are the treatments for a dual diagnosis of ADHD? How does a practitioner and a family go about addressing both conditions together? Well, I think at first, the first step is careful evaluation to, to be certain that that is what is what the child is presenting with, and then the the di the the treatments would involve both behavioral environmental modification and evaluation for potential uh, medication as as well. So it would be kind of the typical um, treatments that you would apply to the the disorders individually. It would just be uh, combining them to um, address all the symptoms that the individual child is presenting with. All right. Well, our next question comes from Miriam, and she is following that question about treatment with a question about medication. And she was wondering, why is it that ADHD medication seems to help with ASD symptoms? I, um, I, I, that's not typically what, 
I, I guess I can't really answer that because that's not what the science would would inform. It wouldn't. We don't typically think that stimulants um, help with a, autism symptomatology or the ADHD medications. That's not typically what the research has shown. Um, I, I know that every child is different and responds differently to medication, and that's part of part of the challenge in 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 use, you know in in providing medications um, that children can respond differently, but um, typically the medications used for um, ADHD do not necessarily improve uh, symptoms of autism. Well, that is a good thing for a lot of people to know. Those, they are, again, different uh, disorders with different treatment approaches. Well, we have a question from Christina that's going to follow on that one. And her question is, are there potential problems between interaction, pardon me, potential problem interactions between risperdone and a stimulant medication, such as perhaps uh, Adderall? And uh, we have heard at the National Resource Center of people being prescribed both medications. Do you know of a potential problem, or is there a resource that people can check with first? So. As far as a resource goes, I, I think it would be important that the person that's prescribing the medication, you know, be able to answer that question. Um, I, specifics about prescribing medications are kind of outside my area of expertise, so I wouldn't really be able to speak to specifics about the you know, medications and their uh, side effects and their dosages um, and things along those lines. But I, you know, I think the answer to that would be uh, you need to have a a conversation with whoever's prescribing them those two medications, and they need to be able to to provide you with that kind of clarity before you before you give anything to to your child. Well, being aware of medications and having that ongoing conversation with the doctor and sometimes even the pharmacist to make sure is always a wise move. Well, our next question is coming from Natalie and. She was wondering what kind of specialist is most capable of diagnosing both ADHD and ASD as they're co-occurring together. Who is the specialist that a parent should be looking for? Um, there, there are um, different, um, you know, several different kinds of specialists that would be be qualified to do so. Um, it certainly is uh, a specialized uh, diagnosis. Uh, dual diagnosis even. So typically, um, at least at our center, we have uh, children who have not yet been diagnosed with autism and or ADHD or fill in the blank, um, but are presenting with the question, does my child have autism or do they have something else or do they have autism and something else? Uh, we typically have uh, them see more than one professional uh, to to kind of get more than one set of eyes and opinions on, on on what, what the child is presenting with. Uh, typically, this would include psychologists um, and or speech language pathologists and or medical doctors, particularly developmental, pedi developmental pediatricians, neurologists, and or psychiatrists. Um, but those are um, the typical professionals who would, who would be most qualified to assist in that, in that diagnosis. 
All right. Well, in addition to that, we've got a question. We've got two questions actually that are going back to the DSM five, and they're coming from Corinne and from Lorna. And Corinne was wondering if there is still a combined type ADHD listed in the DSM five, and Lorna was wondering how can the someone differentiate between ADHD in attentive presentation and autism spectrum disorder? So the answer to the first question is yes, the combined presentation is, is still um, provided. There's combined, there's predominantly inattentive, and there's predominantly hyperactive impulsive. And basically, um, as I had mentioned before, the two behavioral um, domains of, of ADHD were maintained, and so a child to qualify for the combined type would have to have six or more symptoms of inattention um, and six or more symptoms of hyperactivity and impulsivity. Um, as far as um, differentiating between the predominantly inattentive presentation and autism, so children who present with inattentive ADHD, um, yes, they do have you know, similar in attention difficulties as children with autism. They get, they're easily distracted, um, they can be forgetful, they can be daydreamy, they have trouble sustaining their attention. Um, however, they would not have the social difficulties necessarily, or the same kinds of social difficulties, because I don't want to take away that children with ADHD certainly can have social difficulties, but it's not the same kind of social difficulties that a child with autism would have. So again, they, a child with predominantly inattentive ADHD would still have, you know, a lot of social interests, would still, you know, be making attempts at, at having friendships, would still be socially reciprocal, meaning, you know, still have that more natural back and forth um, social interaction versus a child with autism, you know, would not have that. Um, similar, similarly, a child with inattentive ADHD wouldn't necessarily have the repetitive behaviors and the restricted interests that you would expect that a child with autism, you know, is required to present with. So again, the, the being really focused on one particular topic, getting stuck on topics, engaging in the motor stereotypies. Um, so a child with ADHD inattentive wouldn't have you know, maybe they could have some, some of those symptoms, but they wouldn't have the, the number or the severity of symptoms that a child with autism would present with. Well, we have one more DSM-5 question, and this is a bit related. This is more related to autism spectrum disorder than to ADHD, and it's from Laura. And she was wondering if you could address briefly why nonverbal learning disability and fetal alcohol syndrome are now falling underneath the ASD umbrella. Do you know anything about that? Could you share just a little bit of information? Would you, would you be able to repeat that question for me? I'm sorry. Sure, no problem. Our question is, under the new DSM-5, nonverbal learning disability and fetal alcohol syndrome are now being gathered underneath the autism spectrum disorder umbrella inside the DSM-5 rather than being separate standalone disorders. She was wondering if you could address why that decision was made or how these two may relate to autism spectrum disorder. So nonverbal learning disability and fetal alcohol syndrome are not under the autism spectrum umbrella in DSM-5. Um, 
autism spectrum disorder is the, is the only diagnosis under that category. Um, so, so, so that I, I guess I, I that decision was not made. So, um, the, as far as um, nonverbal learning disability goes, um, that is is a um, I don't want to call it a, necessarily a diagnosis, but it is a constellation of symptoms that has been described that do include um, difficulties with visually based skills. Um, so again, nonverbal, visually based skills. Um, and these children are also described to have social difficulties. So there, there, there is some overlap between, um, between children who have been identified as having a nonverbal learning disability and, and autism, but um, it, it was not included. Um, the nonverbal learning disability was not included um, in the DSM-5. That is important information for a lot of families. There's a lot of information that has been released on what is in the DSM-5, what is not, how things have been changed. And sometimes in gathering that information, we end up on some tangents that may not be accurate. So thank you for answering that question. So we have another question. Sure. Oh. Right, we have another question now from Eric. And he was wondering, in the relationship between ASD and ADHD, are they, are they currently thought to be on a single spectrum or are they completely separate disorders? So could some people perhaps see ADHD and ASD as being on different edges of the same line or are they on different tracks entirely? So they, they are considered on different tracks. They are not considered on the, on the same spectrum. Right. Well, again, that's something that sometimes parents hear that perhaps they're on that same track and it's good to know that they are not. Well, our next question now comes from Wendy, and this is one that we do hear pretty frequently at the National Resource Center. And she was wondering if a school system can diagnose a child with autism spectrum disorder and ADHD, or is this only something that a medical professional, someone who is a specialist in ADHD, able to do? Sure, that is a good question. So. And I, I will try and answer it um, without adding more confusion to the pot. Um, so as I described, the DSM is the, the manual that is used by and put out by the American Psychiatric Association and is used by professionals in the medical and clinical field to provide diagnoses. And it is, it is a large book of several hundred pages that describes diagnoses including autism and ADHD and the things that typically present in childhood to things that typically present in older adulthood including dementias and and other adult disorders so there's it's kind of the the like I said the earlier the authoritative guide for providing diagnoses uh, in mental health and and developmental conditions so we you know as a clinician and as a licensed professional have the ability to use this guide to make such diagnoses. In contrast, folks in the school, including school psychologists um, and other um, allied professionals, uh, need to provide what's called an educational classification to provide a child with educational services, typically through an IEP, an Individualized Education Program. 
And so they have um, 14 classifications to choose from. Uh, one is autism. Not, I don't want to, one of the 14 is, is autism. And another of the 14 is something called other health impairment, which is where typically ADHD would fall. Some of the other 14 include things like um, hearing impairments, speech language disability, specific learning disabilities. So there's lots, there's, you know, it covers the range of, of difficulties a child might experience as it impacts their education. So that's where the importance is. So you can, you know, go to a professional out in the community and your child may receive a diagnosis of ADHD, for instance, and you bring that to the school system and they say, okay, well, I see that your child has ADHD, but this isn't impacting their education or their academic functioning. So it's up to the school then to do that kind of evaluation in kind of their setting or to accept the evaluation you've brought in to, to determine whether, A, there is a disability there, and B, is it impacting their education? And so we often get referrals here at our center for parents who say, the school has, has said my child has autism, but you know, I'm not sure, they're not, you know, they didn't say they're giving an official diagnosis, they're you know, giving them this educational code of autism, but I don't know if they really have autism or not, can, can you guys do an evaluation? And so you know, that's perfectly appropriate to, to get further understanding of your child in that way. But, so what the school has done in that case is they've provided the educational coding of autism, meaning that from their observations, they've met the educational classification of autism, and that's impacting their education versus what you know, what someone would do in the community or a medical professional would do would be to use the, the DSM standards to, to make that diagnosis. So it, it's, it's not, I'm, again, I hope I didn't confuse everyone more because it is, it is a little bit, um, there is a bit of overlap there, but it, there is some difference as well. There is some difference, and we often hear from individuals when we're talking about ADHD where they ask, well, can't the school diagnose it? Why isn't the school doing this? So it is a very common question where we do, do have to explain that as far as ADHD is concerned, it is a medical diagnosis and therefore a professional in the field, a clinician such as yourself or um, a psychiatrist, medical doctor would have to do the evaluation. The school cannot. So our next question is coming from Tim. And his question is, he's wondering if you can discuss um, the best treatment options for autism spectrum disorder and if these treatment options overlap with ADHD treatment or do they help with ADHD? So that, that's, a, that's a very broad and, and difficult question to answer because it really depends on the child's level of functioning. So if you, you know, go back to this, if you can think back to the slides, a child with autism can have a wide range of functioning and we have all those specifiers now to describe what that range can look like. So the treatment for a child who, let's say, has autism, is nonverbal, has a low IQ, um, and is you know, pretty significantly impacted would look very different from what the treatment would be for a child who has autism who has fairly mild symptoms, whose intelligence is typical, who's verbal and able to communicate, but still, you know, is experiencing difficulties, fun 
functioning in daily life due to these symptoms. So, you know, I think it's that speaks to versus, again, I guess before I get into that, um, versus for a child with ADHD who, you know, again, can have different levels of, of needs and, and abilities, again, requiring different levels of, of support. And so, you know, I think it speaks to the importance of really being able to have that evaluation first for your child to really understand what your child's strengths and weaknesses are so you can understand what their needs are and what kinds of supports are going to be most effective for them. You know, where, where um, I always say you need to meet your child where, where he or she is. And so in order to do that, you have to, you have to know that where they are functioning. And so, you know, you want to really un get a better understanding of, of, you know, your child's abilities and needs so that you can tailor those interventions and supports to, to their levels. Thank you. Well, our next question, well, we're moving from the treatment to this is one that we have many of our participants have been asking or asking a similar question, but can you touch on some of the comorbid or co-occurring disorders that are occurring with ADHD, with autism spectrum disorder, things such as anxiety or depression? You know, just touch briefly on that. So, um, so yeah, certainly with either autism or ADHD, um, co-occurring um, diagnoses can include um, anxiety, as you've already mentioned, um, other mood disorders as well, um, learning disabilities, language disorders, tic disorders, um, uh, behavior disorders, things like uh, oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, um, those are some of the, the more common comorbidities. And just like teasing apart autism from ADHD and whether it's, you know, two separate, you know, is this a comorbidity or is it just one or the other, um, a thorough evaluation should include evaluation for all those other comorbidities as well because a child, you know, a child with anxiety and ADHD can sometimes present similarly to a child with autism, and it's very, very important to disentangle all those symptoms and really understand what is driving the behaviors that you're seeing. Is it truly autism or is it ADHD and anxiety and maybe even some language difficulties as well? Because again, you know, the treatments that we would set up uh, might be slightly different um, given, given what the, the diagnoses are. And so, um, so yeah, a, a good evaluation should be considering all of those, those potential comorbidities and or what we call rule-out diagnoses and their overlap to understand really how the child's presenting so that they can, the treatment plan can be, can be created that's best suited for that particular child. I mean, I think I keep going back to it, it's, you know, it's the, the evaluation is, is so important because that really lays the groundwork for what, what happens next. All right, well, thank you. Um, to follow up on that, Jamie has a question, and her question is, she's wondering where does aggression fit in uh, co-occurring with ADHD or with ASD, and why do some children display aggression? Is it related to the disorders? Is it 
um, related to frustration and how can it be treated in a clinical setting? Sure, good question. So I think <clears throat> aggression is seen in both autism and ADHD and, and I think again it's, it, it can be very different for each individual child but what we often see for kids with autism who are aggressive it is often um, the children who are having communication difficulties and the communication difficulties they're having uh, result in um, frustration and it comes out as, as aggression often um, they you know they want something and even you know I think even aggression is you know at the at the at the more serious end, um, it often, before that, results in, in just tantrum behavior outside of, you know, toddlerhood. We, we you know, see kids who can't communicate and, and their way of communicating is to, to cry and to get attention in that way. And so, um, you know, often we can reduce some of that frustration and tantrum and aggression by providing them alternate methods of communicating through communicating through pictures or through signs if they're not verbal. Um, and so, you know, that's that's one reason we see um, see some of the aggression um, in autism spectrum disorders. As far as ADHD goes, um, yes, we do see uh, aggression in ADHD as well. And in many ways, that appears. Um, related to some of the impulsivity, so that kind of acting before you think, not being able to put on the brakes. Um, and so uh, helping children kind of learn to, to take those pauses before before thinking, before behaving is, is um, some of the, the target of intervention there. Thank you. Well, when we're talking about ADHD especially, we're talking about a deficit of executive function skills and a deficit in executive function. And Beth was wondering how is that evident in ADHD and ASD that perhaps executive function is not uh, where it should be at an age-appropriate level? So um, executive functions, as kind of the term implies, are some of the most difficult things that we do as, as people. So um, executive functions they're not, first of all, it's not just one thing. You just don't have one executive function. It's a whole kind of variety of skills. Organizing yourself, planning ahead, multitasking. So it's all those things that we expect kids to start to do as they enter into adolescence and into young adulthood. And that's actually maps right on to brain development um, because executive functioning is for the most part housed in the front, front of the brain. And the brain um, believe it or not, continues to develop into uh, young adulthood, into your 20s, when you kind of hit your peak you know, for a couple years, and then we start to go the other way, unfortunately. Um, but the frontal lobes are the, the last parts of the brain to really de refine themselves, and they're still refining themselves into late adolescence and early adulthood. And so as those functions, you know, as the brain is starting to refine those areas of the brain uh, of itself in uh, in early adolescence and again through adolescence into early adulthood, that's when we start expecting kids to be doing some of these things, you know, doing assignments that involve multiple steps. So those more long-term projects, you don't, you would never expect a five-year-old to do a, a term paper, but they don't have the language, they don't have the planning and organization to do something like that. But we certainly start thinking about them doing, 
asking kids to do things like that in middle school. We expect them to start changing classes in middle school and having block schedules and, and all kinds of things that require these executive functions. And so because they're such an integrative thing that, that we ask kids to do, they're very vulnerable to, to getting tripped up. And so kids with autism, kids with ADHD, kids with, with you know, a variety of neurodevelopmental conditions often have difficulty kind of putting the big the, the pieces together to, to be successful in, in um, executing these executive executive skills. And so, you know, we often recommend that you put in some, some supports for kids to, to help them manage these, these executive deficits. And I always laugh because, you know, these are things that we, we wind up recommending that as adults we rely on every day. You know, we as adults couldn't well, at least I couldn't get through life without a planner or a calendar or my outlook. Versus, you know, we we think kids can kind of manage and juggle all these things on their own, and so it's just a matter of helping them find an organizational strategy to impose and keep themselves on task. And and so, you know, helping them set, helping to set that up for the child and reminding them to use it and and t tying a reinforcer to it to to motivate them to use it, are you know all all the kinds of things that that we recommend to, to help support these these executive functions as they're starting to develop and emerge. Um. Well, executive function, as you said, is one of the skills uh, that is later to develop as we grow older. And um, one of the things that often we ask children to do uh, pretty big feats without remembering that they haven't yet made that benchmark. Well, our next question is bringing us over to uh, one about diagnosis, actually two about diagnosis from different directions. One is from Sherry, and she was wondering if MRIs or PET scans or any other type of brain scan are useful in helping to diagnose ADHD or autism spectrum disorder. And then we have Colleen who is asking, is there an increased chance of siblings of children who have a diagnosis of ADHD or ASD? Do they have a higher likelihood of also being diagnosed with either or both disorder? So the answer to the first question is is no. There is no physiological test, um, biological test that we can give to diagnose either ADHD or autism. These are diagnoses that are purely based on behavior observation, um, which includes observing the child, but also includes taking a, a very good history of what that child looked like through their development. Um, as you could see for both of these disorders, symptoms need to be present um, you know, at, an, at an early age. And so if we're not seeing the child, for instance, until they're 10, we need to understand what, you know, what a good, what, get a good picture of what they look like developing. But at this point, no, there's no blood test, there's no scan, there's nothing that can reliably diagnose um, a child with either autism or ADHD. Um, as far as uh, the second question goes, um, and I, I can't believe it just left my mind. I'm so sorry. Don't be sorry. That's fine. Can you, can you refresh me real quick? Yes. Um, when there's already a child in a family who's been diagnosed with ADHD oh. or autism spectrum, does that child's siblings? Oh, I know. The siblings. Okay. Yes. 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 So um, for kids with autism, there is um, a one in five, the 
odds are 20% um, higher, essentially, that that second child, the, the sibling will have um, autism. It's not a 20% chance, but it's, um, you know, there's a, there is a greater um, likelihood that that child will have autism. Um, but um, as far as ADHD goes, too, yes, we know that um, ADHD is also has some kind of genetic loading, and so there is, um, you know, a greater likelihood it, that it, it does run in families. Um, I, it's not, I don't know offhand the, the number but, um, of the risk, but I know that, yes, both, for both disorders, it is more likely that, that uh, siblings, you know, will share that, share the, the same, similar presentations. But not, it's not um, by any means uh, 100%, it, but it is a higher risk. Okay, thank you. Well, we're following up a question we had earlier on uh, medication. As, you, as we said earlier, someone had seen that, uh, to her perception, that AD, the, pardon me, the ADHD medication had been helpful for one particular child's um, autism spectrum symptoms, and you, you said that's not necessarily what research has shown. We're getting a lot of questions. People are very interested in medication management for autism spectrum disorder and wondering, is there medication management? Is there something that does help with this? Um, and, you know, perhaps in controlling ADHD symptoms, do the co-occurring symptoms of autism spectrum disorder have some sort of improvement or other impact seen? So I think these are, these are all good questions. Um, when we talk about medications for either autism or ADHD. We're talking about medications that will address the behaviors that the child's presenting with. So there is no medication that's going to get rid of autism or get rid of ADHD. It's just going to manage those symptoms while the child's taking that medication. And when the, if the child stops taking that medication, you know, it's possible that the symptoms could return. And so the, you know, the idea is that, that the, the, the medications relieve some of the symptoms so that behavioral interventions and strategies can be put in place while the child is more available to learn them and it's really the behavior strategies that are going to produce that long-term um, that long-term uh, effect essentially um, you know there are certainly children with autism, and again, those are medications that are used to address particular symptoms. And so, you know, if you have particular symptoms, there, there are particular symptoms that would be amenable to medication or that would respond to medication, that would certainly be something to, to discuss with okay. your child's medical doctor. Doctor, to, to further briefly, doctor, uh, we had a small glitch in our line, and unfortunately we lost part of what you just said. Oh, and okay. I, I try to prevent, I try to uh, avoid asking our experts to repeat themselves, but I think our audience, they're very interested in what you're saying. If you could briefly repeat what you had just begun to say. From the start of the question? From the start of the question, or, okay. I, and I, I apologize, I apologize to you and to our participants. There was a gremlin in the line. We've got it taken care of. If you could just... Uh, Repeat that and we'll continue on. Sure. So the, the answer is that yes, children with autism and children with ADHD are frequently prescribed medications. What's important to understand is that these medications are used to alleviate some of the symptoms and the behaviors that the child is presenting with. So it's not like it's going to 
remove, you know, it's not going to cure the autism, it's not going to cure the ADHD, it's while the child's taking the medication, it's going to reduce these symptoms. And what's important then to understand is that the idea is then to provide the types of behavioral and environmental modif modifications that are going to produce the long-term uh, outcomes and improvements for the child. So essentially you're trying to reduce some of the symptoms so the child then can participate in the interventions and therapies that are being provided um, and make progress in that way. All right. Well, we are still interested. It seems that uh, we have uh, had a slight gremlin again in our line. So, Doctor, we do have a, another question. And uh, our question comes from Amanda. And she's following up the, the question about medication with complementary treatments. And she was wondering if there is any evidence that perhaps acupuncture, massage, or homeopathy, homeopathy uh, can help with ADHD or autism spectrum disorder. And for our attendees, one of the things that you can check with is the with, you know, and then ah. ah, there you are, there you are. We had our uh, little glitch returned once more. Oh, no. Oh, yes, but that's all right. Uh, briefly, what I was just asking is I'm following up what you were saying a moment ago before we glitched about medication, and Amanda has a question. Um, if there are is any evidence that some co-occurring, I'm sorry, some complementary treatments such as acupuncture, massage, or homeopathy can be effective in helping with ADHD or autism spectrum disorder. And I was reminding our attendees also that the National Resource Center, we have one of our What We Know sheets, discusses different complementary uh, approaches, and you're welcome to find that at www.help.com. For ADHD.org. So, Doctor, is there any evidence that this is helpful? I, there are certainly, I know that there are parents who will say that different kinds of complementary treatments have been very effective for their child, but they're, for the most part, these are called complementary and alternative treatments because there isn't science yet behind them. I mean, many of them are being investigated. Uh, currently, um, but at this point, you know, there, there isn't the kind of solid evidence behind the more traditional treatments and therapies that, that have been kind of tried and true um, that they're to be recommended. All right, well, I'm going to wrap us up with one more question, and this is from Jacqueline, and she was wondering if there is a difference, if you personally, professionally, and your colleagues have seen a difference between ADHD, I'm sorry, be, uh, between boys and girls who are affected by ADHD or autism spectrum disorder. Are the symptoms, are the disorders presenting differently in girls, in boys? Are there similarities? What should parents be on the lookout for? There's definitely literature um, that describes differences in boys and girls with both autism and ADHD. Uh, for instance, girls are more likely to present with the inattentive type of ADHD versus boys are more likely to present with the hyperactive impulsive type. Uh, girls with ADHD are more at risk for, for mood disorders and symptomatology versus um, you know, boys might be more at risk for some of the learning disability comorbidities. 
Um, so yes, there is there is quite an extensive literature um, describing the differences for both ADHD um, and autism for um, girls versus boys. Um, some of the evidence, some of the the literature for autism spectrum disorders is is still um, still emerging. I think it's not quite um, to the the point where um, you know. The descriptions have been out there for um, ADHD, but certainly there is, um, you know, some description of, of, of kind of the girl with with autism spectrum disorder, and um, you know, she's a little bit different than the boy, but I think it's a little, you know, it, I, it's not quite as as established. Well, thank you, and uh, the question. Thank you for addressing that one. We do hear that often. Uh, both boys and girls can have ADHD, both boys and girls can have autism spectrum disorder. I would like to thank you so much for being with us today. Are you aware that the Department of Education issued new guidelines regarding 504 plans? What does this mean for your child? Learn more about your child's educational rights on the CHAD website, which is now www.helpforadhd.org. That's www.help and the number 4 adhd.org.